Hey, it's uh, Valentine's weekend. I hope that uh, if you have somebody, that you had somebody to share Valentine's with, I hope it went well, that uh, you had a great time together and uh, got a chance to just celebrate what love means for that special person. Um, our grandkids were telling us that, um, that they gave out Valentine's at school. Do you remember when you used to do that, give out Valentine's at school? You know, some kids would walk back with all these bags full of Valentine's, and I'd be the one kid to come back with one, you know, say it a little bit louder. Oh, thank you. It warms my heart. You're such an affirming church. Let me tell you this. <clears throat> but you know, uh, so our, our grandson, um, he has a, a, a girlfriend. And uh, you know, when you mention her name, uh, he just beams real big because he just, he really is smitten over her. And, and I always remember back when I was nine years old and I had a crush on Jeanette Torres. And, and I thought it was just the greatest thing to have that crush on her. And um, my teacher said, Bob, it's just, it's just puppy love. Well, she dumped me, and it's been a dog's life ever since, so. <clears throat> oh, okay, thanks, Garrett. I could hear your voice from that, so. <clears throat> well, we're talking about relationships today, and I think it's really, really cool that, that the Sunday before we uh, go this weekend to our Thrive Marriage Conference and Relationship Conference, that we spend a little time talking about, excuse me, that we spend some time talking about relationships so I thought it'd be kind of neat to, you know, kids are, um, they're kind of unfiltered and they're innocent. So when you ask them a question, you just never know what you're going to get. So, and so here's some kids that got asked some really important questions. And here's the first one. Um, how do people in love typically behave? So that's the question. So Arnold, age 10, responded this way. Mushy, like puppy dogs, except puppy dogs don't wag their tails so much. Okay. Here's what uh, <clears throat> Wendy, age eight, said. When a person gets kissed for the first time, they fall down and they don't get up for at least an hour. <clears throat> Man, that's like one of my kisses for Patty. Woo, she puts a leg up and anyway. <clears throat> so here's, here was the other question. Why, why, do, why do people in love hold hands? So here's what um, Gavin, age eight, said. Gavin put it this way. He said they want to make sure that, that the rings don't fall off because they paid good money for them. Right. <clears throat> and John, age nine, look at, look at what John said. John says they're just practicing for when they might have to walk down the aisle someday and do that holy matrimony thing. <laughs> and this was the last one that got asked. The last one got asked was kind of a confidential opinion about love. And uh, this one comes from Dave, age eight. And Dave says this. Dave says, love will find you even if you're trying to hide from it. I've been trying to hide from it since I was five, but the girls keep finding me. <clears throat> okay, so, so kids, kids have it right, right? Kids know um, what to do, uh, and, and they kind of uh, have some ideas about what love is all about. But, but let's kind of get real for a second and kind of take the cuteness out of it. Um, relationships are hard. Uh, relationships are hard. I mean, being married is hard. Um, being single is hard. Uh, if you're dating, that, that can be hard. Uh, if you're raising children, that, that can be hard. And um, how about relationships like in, in the workplace? So you're, you're trying to relate to your boss or your coworkers. There can be some challenges that come along with that. Even in the church, um, you know, we're supposed to be like holy people and, and, and loving people. There, there are challenges in relationships, even in the life of the church. And we see those challenges that, that, that come our way. So remember in the early days, like when you were, when you were dating somebody and and you thought maybe this relationship was going to go somewhere. And remember those early days, everything was always prim and proper. 
You know, they, they'd come and they'd open the door for you. After about six months, I told Patty, I said, you don't have to do that for me anymore. Uh, I can get in the car all by my, no. I open the door for her all the time um, as, a, as a matter of love and respect that I have for her. But, you know, in the early days of your relationship, you know, the breath was always fresh, the teeth were brushed, you shared things. And then as the relationship goes along and you start to get a little more serious, maybe you kind of, you know, don't brush your teeth as often or, or uh, you get married and after a while, the, after a couple of years, the marital bliss goes off and, and there's clothes stacked. I think that's why we have multiple bedrooms in our houses because we use one bedroom, right, to just put clothes in that are like need to be folded. Anybody do that? I, I, I don't know anybody that does that. But anyway, so, so, but, but, you know, so we learn these little things, but the longer we're together, uh, we really need to make sure that we're keeping the importance of what a relationship is. And that's where I really want to uh, focus today. So, so the question is, where do we go for that? Where do we find out? Do we read like self-help books and things like that on relationships? Um, I'm a firm believer that says that, no, we go to the Scripture. And as a, as a, a good Wesleyan uh, theologian, I would say that, that Scripture is the primary source. We always go to Scripture. We can look at tradition, reason, experience in addition to that. But what does the Scripture say as to how we're to be in relationship with one another and the importance of that? And what I learned from that is, is that God has a plan for us to be in good, wholesome relationships together. Do, do you believe that, first of all, that God has a plan for us to be in great relationships with each other. God does. And I think first and foremost that that's a, a key component of, of who God is in God's character for us. So if we look at these scriptures and we begin to, to, to see what's there, um, I think the bigger question becomes, okay, we can read it in the scripture, but are we going to do what the scripture says? Now, some of us, when it comes to our relationships, will say, you know, uh, I know that God says to do it this way, but I found a loophole and it's easier to do it that way. Uh, so we kind of like, you know, move around in our, in our, in our relationships that way. But, but the question becomes, are we going to let God's word, are we going to let the scripture, are we going to let the heart of God guide the relationships of everything that we're in? Now, as I ask that question, if I were to ask you the question, are you going to let God guide you in all of your relationships, in every relationship that you have, before I even finish that question, guess what you're going to say? You're going to say, well, of course I am. And then as we start reading the scriptures and, and we begin to find out that relationships are kind of muddy sometimes and we've got to work through them and those things, then you're kind of like, eh, well, yeah, I hope to. And then you kind of drill down a little bit more and you go like, yeah, but Pastor Bob, you don't know my, my wife or you don't know my husband. You don't know how difficult things are. You don't know the boss that I work for. And the answer is right. You're, you're right. I don't. But I truly believe that God wants us to have relationships built on unity and, and foundation, and God wants our relationships to be filled with happiness. So, that, so, so the, the, the first big question is this, are we willing to honor God and his word in every single relationship that we have? And the answer to that is, that's really where we need to go. So uh, let's look at the first piece of where I want to go with this this morning, and that is, is that we were made for healthy relationships. We were made for healthy relationships. How do we know that? If I were to take you to Genesis chapter 1, so Genesis, the first book of the Bible, often referred to as the Bible of the beginnings, if we were to go to Genesis chapter 1, um, some of you would say to yourself, why are we looking in Genesis, the creation story, and all of the, you know, all the stuff that goes on there, why would we look in that about relationships? I'm hoping today that you're going to uh, come to the same conclusion that I have about that God brings that to us uh, in that portion. So let's look at Genesis chapter 1. 
verse 1, and here's what it says. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. All right? God created. The very first, very first words that come out, bam, in the scriptures. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So we know that God's involved in, in all of this uh, relationship stuff, and, and um, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, if, we're, if we get caught up on some of the stuff that we tend to get caught up with in the Genesis story about creation, we're never going to see this little thing that I want to bring to your attention today for you to learn about Genesis chapter 1. Because oftentimes we'll read those words and we get caught up in this, well, was it a big bang or was it this? And did, was there primordial ooze? And how can it be in science and religion? Can they coexist? And, and did God create in six 24-hour days? By goodness, he did. Or did God create in his God time? Is the world really uh, a lot younger than what scientists say? How can the world be billions of years old when if you look at the time clock and God created Adam, I mean, we get bogged down in that stuff. And the question is, who in the room was around when God created? Anybody? I wasn't. So, so none of us were, and, and yet we bog ourselves down in these conversations about this, and we lose sight of something that's really important for us to know about God and our relationships. So let's take a look at, uh, at, at a couple things here. The important thing that we need to remember about that verse there, a couple things. First of all is, God created all things out of nothing. So whether it was a big bang or whether it was just a big burst of light, whether it was loud or whether it was quiet, we don't know. We just know what the words say. And our faith, as we know about the character of God, and we know God is a creator, and God created us in relationship, that we know that God's plan was great. And that God created us and said that we are good. So let me, let's go back to this verse. So, so um, look at the word God, uh, next to God. It's called, it's, it's Elohim. Say Elohim. Okay, that's a Hebrew word, and that Hebrew word is, it, it translates to God. Now, what we find out in the Genesis chapter 1, we find out that anytime it's referenced the name of God, it's really the Hebrew word, the translation is Elohim, or the original word is Elohim. Our English language does not have all these words of specificity that maybe the ancient languages do. So we just throw in God. All right, and we say God, then we all kind of, okay, yeah, yeah, we know what you're talking about, the, the big one, you know, that, that's God, but Elohim. In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens of the earth and the earth. So El, E-L, is the name of God. So we, we know that in some of the other names, like El Shaddai. Uh, um, we know that God has many names. God has the name of Jehovah, Jehovah Rapha, which means the God of healing. But in this specific part, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, they use the word Elohim. El means God. Ohim is another noun that's attached to that. In our English language, we use a noun for a name and we attach a verb. In, in the ancient languages, it would be a noun attached to a noun in most instances. Elohim. Elohim translates to plural majestic. So think about that. In the beginning, plural majestic God created the heavens and the earth. Did you catch that? In the very first verse of the Bible, we're learning about Trinity, that mystery, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In the beginning, Elohim, majestic plural God, created. 
So what we know is that the character of God, so, so God is Father, God is Son, God is Holy Spirit, three in one. And God says, I'm going to create based upon that as to my identity, as to who I am. And there's some interesting things that we learn about the character of God is that God lives in perfect harmony. God lives in perfect accord. God lives in perfect unity. God lives in perfect relationship within God's own self. And therefore, if we are created in the image of that kind of God, what it says is, is that we're not supposed to have drama in our relationships either. Because nowhere in Scripture do I see the Father saying to the Holy Spirit, that Jesus, he's not, he's not living by his curfew. We need to do something about that Jesus. Nowhere in the Scripture do I see the Holy Spirit and Jesus going like, man, Father God, he, he was mad today and he sent me to my room. We don't see that. What we see is harmony. We see unity, we see accord, we see togetherness. And that's the importance of why we need to understand that Elohim is the word that's used here. So when it says in the beginning, God created, that's what our English language says. And we think that it was just like, well, just one God. No, in the beginning, Elohim, plural, majestic God created. So that says to us that we take on the very character of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all those things in one. And let's look at, let's look at the next piece where it says here. It goes on, it says that, that basically, you know, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Then God said, let us make. Do you see the us? Let us make. Let Elohim make mankind in Elohim's image, in Elohim's likeness. Are you following me? We are all in one with God. And therefore, because the Trinity lives in perfect harmony, God says that that's what I want the relationships of the beings that I'm created to live into. Because there's no drama when it comes in my relationship within my Trinity. There's no disharmony. There's no disunity. There's no discord. It's nothing but a unified relationship that's there. So everything is great. So we think about that. So we're created in God's image. And God says, you know, I want to create humanity. And so we're connected with that. And that says what our relationships are to be like. And, and life would be great, but then what happens? Chapter 3 comes along in Genesis. And it says that the created defy the creator. And the created decide that they want to be like the creator in ways that the creator did not intend. And sin enters into the world. Choice is made. Let's do this, even though we're told not to. And sin came into the world. So immediately there's a fracture in this, in this harmonious, unified um, relationship, perfect relationship between God and us. Because now sin has entered. And now there's a chasm. There's this distance that's between God and us. And we began to see that that, that relationship is not what God had intended and this great God that, that wants us to be in relationship with him, we, we come to know that, that basically that God is understanding something must change. But here's the, here's the second thing in, in, in a relationship. Almost every negative issue that we have in our relationships manifests itself in relationships either with God or with people. So in our relationships, we're either, we're either reacting negatively in a relationship with God. God, how did you allow this? God, why would you do this? God, how come this? God, that. We've, we've, we've had, maybe you've had some of those conversations with God. Don't make me come up there to tell you how I feel, God. 
And trust me, God is holy. God, can, God is broad enough to accept that kind of uh, uh, challenge that we have in our relationships because God wants to understand and lets us know. But it also affects our relationships with people. Who are are the individuals that you are not in perfect, harmonious, unified, loving relationships with? Maybe maybe you go to work and you take a great lunch. You put it in the refrigerator in the staff cafeteria. It's not my story, but somebody else I know. And you go to get your lunch that you worked all morning on and you pack, you go there, it's gone. Somebody took your lunch. You think there's unity in that relationship? Yeah. What about when, you're, when your kids maybe uh, or, or give you challenges and you just kind of had enough, there's disunity. So we know that, that either we're, we're fighting with God or we're fighting with each other. And the question becomes, what, what are we going to do with this? And, and, and so that's why we need to recap the importance of where I'm hoping we can land today. And that is that in the beginning, Elohim, majestic plural God, created and said, we, I want to create humans to look and be like me, and, and therefore they will have the same characteristics that I have. And then we saw that that was great until humanity made the choice and said, we don't really want that, we're going to rebel, we're going to choose something else and defy the perfection of what the Creator had provided, and that was called sin. And we understand the story to be then that, that God comes in the flesh as Jesus into the world, and Jesus steps into the gap, and Jesus says, I'm going to start teaching you something that you've all long and forgotten, and that is the importance of the kingdom of God and the reign of God in the world. And Jesus said, I am the manifestation of God in the flesh here to reconcile you back to God and back to each other. And he willingly goes to the cross and through his death that it's through his blood that that we are reconciled once again with God and with each other. And Jesus repairs the brokenness that is there. Jesus said, I bring good news. And I want you to hear about this relationship that God has and the purpose of relationships. And he's teaching that in his ministry. And all of a sudden, a scribe, a a person who understands the laws, but also was was entrusted with with writing down to make sure that everything was translated correctly. A scribe uh, comes and says, well, wait a minute, I'm listening to what Jesus is saying, and I'm not really sure about what he's talking about at all. And Mark gives us an account in chapter 12 of a very interesting conversation as Jesus is talking about this reconciliation and bringing unity and harmony back into relationships. And here's what it says. One of the teachers of the law came and and heard them debating. So Jesus is engaged in this conversation. And noticing that Jesus had given them um, a, a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important, Jesus? That's the behavior question. What's the behavior that I'm supposed to have in order to be right with God and right with my neighbor? So he's asking this behavior question. And Jesus says, the most important one is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is what? One. The Lord is Elohim, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with what? All of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. In essence, make everything that there is about you. Let that yearn to love God. Let nothing replace God in your life. 
And let your love be what is the connection that's there. He then says, here's the second one. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. The scribes, the scribes question, which of these commandments is the, the greatest of all, the most important? In other words, the translation, when we're struggling in our relationships, we ask, what do I need to do to fix this? What do I need to do to have a better marriage? What do I need to do to help my kid turn the corner? What do I need to do to communicate better with my parents who are aging to help them to understand what do I need to do? And Jesus said, that's the wrong question. It has nothing with what you're to do. It kind of throws a curveball. It's more of what you need to be. You need to be the person who loves God with everything that there is about you. You need to be the person who loves neighbor as themselves. You see, this is some really really important things. The scribe comes to Jesus and asks the question, what is most important? And Jesus says, the Lord is one. Elohim. All in one, in unity, in love, in accord. All of these things. When you say that you live into these words of Jesus, doesn't it make us think a little bit? I mean, I, I want to believe in my own life that I love the Lord God with all of my heart and soul and strength and mind in all the ways in which he says, I want to hope and believe that I truly love my neighbor as myself, but like you, I'm not sure that I hit that every day. I'm not sure that every day my cylinders are firing in all those areas in which I can stand before God and say, I do love you with all of my heart, which means that, that I'm never going to put anything before you, God, which means by loving you with all my heart, you are number one. I'm going to love you with all my soul, which means I'm not going to follow any other idols. I'm not going to worship money. I'm not going to worship things. Uh, I love you with my soul. When we come back and we say that, that we love God with all of our strength, and that means that, that I'm willing to forego temptation, but I can't do it alone. But Lord, I believe that you can help me with that. And strength, that I can't get through life without God's strength. But what Jesus is saying in the midst of this is he's saying that it's important that we know that when we have that kind of love for God, heart, mind, soul, and strength, that when we are at one with God in that relationship, that's when we could be in relationship and in harmony with each other. And that we've got to stop convincing ourselves that we can love God and be all those things to God and be hating on our neighbor. We've got to stop saying that, that, we, that we love God and we chase after God with our heart and everything else, but we, we, we talk smack to our spouses and we belittle them and we tear them down. Jesus said, that's not how it works. He said... There's no drama in the Trinity. There's no discord. It's only goodness. The Apostle Paul, you know, he, he taught us a lot. But one of the things I really love is in 1 Corinthians, in his first letter, uh, in chapter 13, we, we call this the love chapter. A lot of folks say, hey, will you read that at my wedding? But what we have to understand is, is that, that what Paul is really talking about, he's talking about the love of the church. Now, yeah, we can use 13 and say that I want that to, to be my mantra, that I want that to be my verse, but really he's saying church. 
This is what the church needs to be. And he, and he writes some interesting words. He says, he says, first of all, we need to understand that the church is a reflection of God's design and love. So when people look at this church, when the people look at the church, capital C, they need to know that it is a reflection of God's design and it's a reflection of God's love. And Paul says this, he says, if I speak in the tongues of men and or of angels, but I do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. He says that, that, that basically the words that I speak, the things that I say, are they holy? Do they encourage? Do they build up? Do they, do they put on Christ around people or am I tearing people down? What is the language of the church? And he goes on to, to say even more with this. He says, he says, if I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but I don't have love, then I'm nothing are we a church that says that, 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 we, that we have the, the gift of prophecy, which is the proclamation of the word? Have we discovered all the answers to the mysteries of the faith? Uh, do we have the, all the knowledge? Is that the kind of church that we are? But you know what? If we, don't, if we don't have love, then it doesn't matter. And Paul says love is so important. Then he goes on to say these characteristics. So think about not only yourself, not only your relationships, but think about you as a church person. Love is patient. Are you patient? Love is kind. Are you kind? It doesn't envy. Are you envious? It doesn't boast. It isn't proud. Are you a person of pride? Are we as a church prideful? It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrong. Remember back when we use those vinyl things called records? And every now and then there'd be a scratch and it'd be like, burp, burp, and it'd repeat, burp, burp, repeat, burp, burp, repeat. Keep no records of wrong. Burp, keep no records of wrong. I mean, how often do we keep records of wrong? Individually and as the church, capital C. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. And listen to this. It always protects it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. That's the love of the church. That's the love of people, Elohim, plural majestic God. That's the characteristics. So here's the thing, relationally speaking, love will always stand by you. It will never leave. It's there to do its work upon you. And you never have to doubt that it's there. God will always stand by you. 